1: with buy into it with joe eaton and vanessa to hey joe how you doing i'm good thank you how are you i'm well thanks um tonight we are going to be speaking to geek girl academy's ceo who will be sharing everything you need to know about their latest she hacks hackathon plus we're going to bring you the data behind the community cup and what will help teams train for the next year so that'll be pretty interesting but uh that'll be a bit later in the show in news this evening what have we got joe um we have something about cryptography in Australia. Australia's announced a plan to ban working cryptography at home and in the US, UK, New Zealand and Canada. So this is the Five Eyes partnership that um, the article's talking about. And I don't know about you, but the news broke for me on Corey Doctorow's Boing Boing. Did you have a chance to have a look at this at all, Joe? I haven't read about it yet. Tell me all. Yeah, so uh, pretty much the Australian Attorney-General and a key Australian Minister have published a memo detailing the demand they plan on presenting to the Five Eyes Surveillance Alliance meeting, which will be held in Ottawa um, next week. So the Australian officials are suggesting that um, we force service providers to ensure reasonable assistance is provided to law enforcement and security agencies. um, And the detail in that is that Um, those agencies want to be able to read messages that have been encrypted. Now, their idea for how this should work is that encryption should be weakened and that governments and Five Eyes, you know, security agencies should be given um, pretty much keys to those encryption technologies. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this is a terrible idea and I'm a little bit surprised to see it coming up again and so close to home. Um, It's uh, encryption is only as strong as its weakest link and uh, once you've built backdoors into things or you make keys available to people, What's
0: it's super weak. <laughs> um, and we
1: have to think that... Uh, good cryptography is not just used for encoding messages that get passed around. Lots of the things that get encoded are valuable data like financial data. So, the impact on things like your financial services sector is tremendous and it's really risky for your populations to ha- to have these sort of weakenings going on. So, look, if you're interested in Um, cryptography, in um, government uh, surveillance, then it's really worth heading to Corey Doctorow's site and having a look at uh, what is being proposed. Hopefully some sensible experts will also be at these
2: meetings and um, putting their views forward. What else is going on in news, Joe? Google are finally shutting down Google Talk or um, Gchat, as I've always called it. Uh, so all users who haven't done the swap themselves will be migrated to Google Hangouts. And uh, Gchat has apparently been around since 2005. And it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it has. And uh, Are you a fan of Gchat? I, I've i always enjoyed the simplicity of it. And my, my parents aren't on any social media, um, not through any lack of tech savvy. They're, just yeah. they're nerds and they don't like Facebook. So they've always used Gchat to talk to me. Oh, right. And um, I just kind of liked how simple it was. but um, It was very just – it wasn't even cute. It was simply functional. Yeah. I
1: just sat there – so and it didn't seem to have high overhead, so you never felt performance costs for using Gchat.
2: <laughs> yeah. but So, Hangouts seems a bit like overkill compared to Gchat, but apparently they're trying to target enterprise users with Hangouts, so that makes more sense. But if you don't fancy Hangouts, they have a simpler chat app called Allo. Have, have you tried that one? No, Vanessa? it sounds like Allo, the failed yeah, uh, social no, media it's spelled platform. with an A rather than an E. Right. Yeah. So, I haven't used that one, but... I hadn't even heard of it, so there no, you go. They've, no, I hadn't until today either. So. They've always got so many uh, little apps on the boil. But I wonder
1: if that was one of their experimental ones.
2: Yeah. Um, so um, what's news in the Tesla world?
1: Uh, we love a bit of Elon <laughs> Musk
2: news. We love Every some week. Tesla
1: news. Let's face it, Tesla's just managed to be sexy somehow. And now they have um, they've sort of dipped their toe in the water and put the news out there that they might create their own music streaming service for use in their vehicles. Uh, and then, they're, like, they're a bit of a first to market. They're a bit of a market leader. And where they go, people speculate that other other car companies might follow. So, last week, a spokesperson told Business Insider that it was important for its customers to listen to the music they want from whatever source they choose. Uh, It sounds like apparently they've been finding their options to have, you know, digital streaming services in their cars pretty limiting, like people wanting to lock them into different platforms. So instead of uh, using one of the competing standards that exists out there, they are going to create their own new competing standard. (laughs) And this is how standards (laughs) proliferate. Uh, It's kind of funny. So they're looking at, um, you know, how to make things work with all the different sorts of devices that people use to stream things from. Uh, They're... Yeah, I guess they want to be they want to be um, freed in their choices of platforms and not locked into the deals that people have with with existing things like Spotify, which would be the main competitor to them at the moment. Uh, I guess I'm trying to see if there's anything else interesting about this, but it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Uh, it drifts very quickly into shareholder value, which we're not that concerned <laughs> about here. So we'll just
2: move along. Well, um, what about? I suppose it wouldn't really a show this week if we didn't talk about the ransomware thing?
1: Yes. So ch- chasing the um, the problems with WannaCry earlier this year, uh, today's news has all been about Petya, the Petya cyber attack. Um What's concerning about this particular one is that the ransomware creators seem to have learnt a bit from the WannaCry experience and have already iterated what this ransomware is kind of like. Um saw an article today saying that the Cadbury factory had been hit as ransomware has just reached the Australian market. Uh, in some ways, we're really lucky with the time differences that often these um, vulnerabilities hit overseas and our... Uh, information security professionals have a little bit of lead time to check whether they've patched all of their security holes that um, whatever the new exploit is trying to exploit. Uh, the production at Cadbury's Chocolate Factory in Hobart stopped after its parent company found itself um, tied up in this particular attack. Uh, also, the Australian staff of the global law firm DLA Piper um, have been suspected victims of the attack. So where you have those those global corporations, you know, your vulnerabilities overseas can sort of, yeah, get in the way. So it's... it's kind of familiar you get a, a hostile looking uh, ASCII based screen saying oops your important files are encrypted and it goes on to you know outline the threats and where you should uh, send certain amounts of bitcoins which is a, a pretty tough ask for a lot of people anyway. Uh, the advice that the government is giving in all of these cases is to not to pay any ransomware demands because there's no guarantee that you'll get your files unlocked. Um, the email address is uh, that is used in the ransomware message to. Is it the ask, same one for all of them? Yeah, it's saying to send confirmation of payment to a particular email address. Yeah. That email address has been shut down by the email provider, um, so they are attacking this on many levels. So it's 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 ongoing at the moment. Uh, I guess we'll see more companies affected as we go through the week. Hopefully, um, because of the WannaCry. More people will have their systems up to date and will be less vulnerable to these things. And uh, good luck to you out there. Yes, hoping. Yeah. Let's let's hope that you haven't had that. It's um, 7.09 on Triple R. I wonder if we should cover a little bit more news. I think we should. Now, I'm just... Sorry, I'm just um, scrolling. I'm lost in my Google Oh, you docs. wanted to talk about Uber. Yes. So... Uber, look, we're a bit sick of the um, <laughs> of, of Uber News. We know you are too. but the latest the latest in their news is that uh, people are uh, writing about the the various contenders to be Uber's new CEO. Um, the board knows that they really need to turn the company culture around, so that's that's a big thing. Uh, but also they need someone savvy who can keep growing the business. Travis uh, Kalanick, the outgoing CEO's reputation was for being a bit of a bulldog in business. Um, particularly evident in uh, ignoring the regulatory environments in which he was pushing Uber and just trying to go ahead and kind of push his way through, which has been very successful for the company. Um, now that they have to deal with um, the the challenging kind of, I guess, the, the sexism that's been rife throughout the business and that turning into actual incidents on the ground, uh, some say that they might want to get a more diverse CEO in and um, partly for what they could do to the culture, but partly as a PR exercise. So Sheryl Sandberg is the top of their wish list. She is the Facebook chief operating officer um, that has uh, what's perceived as a very safe pair of hands in Silicon Valley. However, she's shown no interest in leaving Facebook. So I think this is purely speculative and a bit, you know, very wish listy. We'll be very surprised if she moves over. Who are the other contenders? Another one is YouTube CEO, Susan What Wad- oh, I never say her name properly, I'm sorry. Wodj Um, I think it's one of those tricky Polish names, which um, I love to hear when people can tell me how to pronounce them properly. Um, she was seen as a potential candidate to be his number two, like the, the outgoing CEO's number two in March. So she's already been vetted by the company. Um, she's been in charge of Google's video streaming subsidiary since 2014. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if she was ready for a move and um, and how far discussions had gotten earlier this year. Then there's a few other people. Uh, another had been floated for Uber's number two executive, Thomas Staggs. He's previously served as Disney's chief operating officer and um, was the company's chief financial officer as well. I think that would be quite appealing to the board. Then we have Mark Fields. He's the former CEO of Ford Motor Company. He'd be a really interesting strategic Mm. choice for someone coming from old car tech to new car tech. And um, he's fresh out of a job and is armed with years of experience managing the global auto giant. So in some ways, that would be a fascinating thing. Uh, Transportation experts say Fields can bring the necessary leadership, manufacturing and marketplace knowledge to Uber. Um, And they're, they're really talking about just... Really, the grown up um, nature of these candidates uh, versus the very young, macho, startup, entrenched, uh, I guess, CEO that they've already had. The final contender that we've read about is Anthony Fox. Um, His name's well-known in the transportation world because he's former Transportation Secretary. He's also the ex-Mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, he led the Department of Transportation under the Obama administration from 2013 to 2017. So he's got a lot of work in government, and the regulatory environments is a real uh, risk area for Uber and an area where they need to do a lot of work. So that could be an interesting choice too. Whoever they do choose will probably tell us a lot about what uber's priorities are going to be in the you know shorter term so i guess that's why we're watching it with such bated breath now we'd like to welcome virtually to studio um, sarah moran she is uh, part of geek girl academy she's their ceo and uh geek girl academy are a bunch of hackers hustlers and hipsters and they want you to join them for the world's largest all-female hackathon welcome sarah Thanks for having me, team. It's a great pleasure to speak to you again. Look, for those uh, who don't know about Girl Geek Academy yet, could you tell us a little bit about what your mission is?
0: Yeah, sure. We're aiming to teach one million women to build the internet by 2025. Um, For those of you who don't know, there's a large um, under-representation of women in technology. And um, yeah, we're, we're encouraging more women to stick their hand up and get involved. That's
1: fantastic. We are all about that here. Um, So hackathons sound really exciting, but maybe also a little scary to those who've never attended one. You talk about participants not all having to have coding skills already and that you're open to hackers, hustlers and hipsters. But how should people interpret those terms?
0: Yeah, great. Well, um, we took those terms... um from some knowledge that looked at, you know, what what do you need to make a great team? And so, you know, the idea is that you do need someone who can code um, the material, um, but you also need someone who's going to make it look good. So that's where the designers stepped in, and uh, we give them the hipster hat. And then um, you have the hustlers, who are the people who tend to turn it into a business, and if the business succeeds, you'd probably look to them to be the CEO.
1: That's a great um, description of it. I remember reading a description about that tri- that holy trinity in uh, a Neil <laughs> Stevenson novel a long time ago and they were always very disparaging of the uh, the person with the business skills. They're like, oh, I guess we need a banker now, we need a financier, we need a something or other. I like that you've taken those skills and actually brought them to like the grassroots level and um, Do you have uh, any sort of patterns in terms of attendance in terms of getting more or less of some of these groups of people?
0: Yeah, well, we always thought that the hackers would be hardest to find, but we find it's actually the hipsters. So um, I don't know whether it's just that, you know, in design circles, you call these types of events, you know, by a different name or something else. But what's really fascinating is that... um, anyone who knows that they are not a hacker or a hipster puts their hand up to be a hustler almost every time (laughs) we end up with double the amount of hustlers you know wanting to sign up but what's really fascinating then is that you end up with people like doctors or lawyers or anyone who just isn't you know a graphic designer you know UX person or a a hacker stepping forward and really then learning business skills and then owning that hustler but it's not just The finance person you know it's it's everyone from any walk of life with some sort of um you know uh, ability to identify problems worth solving they tend to step up and and really want to be a part of the team so how do these
2: teams form
0: so um where i guess she hacks is different to a regular hackathon so for those who don't know a hackathon um starts on a friday night um and teams get together and and hack away um developing a product or or a minimum viable product Um, until Sunday and the way we do it that is a little bit differently basically we took you know we we noticed there was a large representation of men at most hackathons and we were like how would we do things differently and so on the Friday night instead of people pitching their ideas and saying I want to build this thing who's with me we actually put you into the teams of the hacker the hustler and hipster so we put you into teams of between three and four Um, and then you go away and we give you dinner and you get to know each other and you're like right So as a team, what are some of the problems that we've identified and, you know, what one would we like to work on this weekend? And so it's really about, um, you know, building friendships as much as it is about building businesses.
2: And are you doing any matchmaking for these teams or are they all randomly selected?
0: Um, So there's a little bit of matchmaking involved, um, but we try not to you know, go too deep on that um, because, you know, sometimes you can just over-plan things. And um, we've always found out that the serendipitous nature of just throwing people together, you would never know that they weren't destined to be together. <laughs> um, and it just always seems to work out really, really, to create really vibrant teams. Um, and I'm really delighted about that because it's just, it just shows what happens when you, when you put together a powerful team of women from any walk of life that they can, you know, brew up something pretty special.
1: So, Sarah, I wondered, what sort of mindset do you think is helpful for people going into a hackathon?
0: Um, I would say a a growth mindset. So, um, thinking of it as an educational opportunity rather than... Well, something that's interesting is that we do have prizes, but we don't use that as the key hook. And hilariously, um, you know, for about the last three years, we've not mentioned the prizes pretty much until the weekend, yet no-one has ever asked. It's not like they say... Oh, why should I enter? What am I going to win? Um, because it really isn't um, about the competition as much as it is as about learning and really um, growing those startup skills um, and, and really giving yourself the confidence to have a go and look at what it would take to be um, a startup founder.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so refreshing um, any time we see a hackathon that doesn't have uh, like a corporate outcomes-focused end. I mean, that can be a really... It can be a really useful way to solve problems in ID8 and ideate. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to knock them, but um, they are so valuable as learning exercises that it's nice to see people doing them purely with that in mind.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because we've opened up corporate teams this year. We've trialled it for the last two years with Deloitte and it's worked really well. We're basically... Um, They submit a team, their own team of a hacker, hustler and hipster, but, you know, they're people who wouldn't normally get to work together in the workplace, Mm. so they're usually from different parts of the business, Um, and so this year we've got a number of corporate teams coming on board, and I'm very, very excited about that. We've left 10 spaces, and I think we've got maybe three left, Um, and so, you know, seeing different companies from around Victoria stepping up to put forward these you know, teams of hackers, hustlers and hipsters from their own companies is so exciting. Yeah, look, I love
1: that. I, I guess uh, the thing is that that also sidesteps any of the ethical issues when sometimes <laughs> a really wealthy company throws a public hackathon and gets all these ideas from the public and sometimes you think, oh, I'm not sure that everyone's getting great value out of the, you know, the IP exchange in this environment. <laughs> but I love the idea of people kind of doubling down on their own staff talents and people who know their business but get to maybe flex their muscles in different areas. That is really genius to me.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad because that was part of the design. You know, that, that part of what we were thinking about is, you know, uh, corporates are encouraged to to grow a startup mindset and you know, encouraged to engage in this space. But just, but you can't just say, oh, hey, startup people, come and we'll give you some lunch and can you build us some stuff. Like that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't eventuate in anything. It doesn't transfer any skills. You know. So um, we find this way we can train women to then take those skills back to, you know, their companies. Um, And a lot you know, a lot of them were doing it on the side anyway, so it just gives them that that excuse to work with other people with that um, attitude in their own company.
1: Mm. So you would get a lot of hackathon newbies at your events, I imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what have some of your participants told you has surprised them most about your events?
0: I think they're always surprised – well, we, okay, I guess it's more what we're surprised about. So, w- what, what we've always been surprised about is that everyone finishes. So, it's this sort of thing about setting an expectation and saying – and we just say, you know, you're going to do this this weekend, and then they turn around and they do it. Whereas sometimes we're probably setting those expectations out of reach for most people, but they don't know they're out of reach. And they just get on <laughs> in, and then the next minute they turn around and build a company and we go, oh, huh, well, there you go. They did, didn't they? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's sort of like um, giving people the opportunity to shine. They really step up and that's just like, it just surprises me every time. I'm like, surely someone's going to mess this up, but they don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love
1: good. that. The teachers always learn so much more from the students. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of that, will there be any mentors at this event?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, And we're doing a recruitment push over the next fortnight for um, any additional mentors who want to step up um so we'll we'll if, if there's anyone out there who wants to mentor please just reach out to me um and there's something else I was going to tell you around the mentoring part and it's just completely disappeared from my brain i nope, lost it um but yeah we we do have I can't announce it yet but there is a team that we're looking to bring out who will be a very very delightful Uh, mentoring team coming up. But we've actually also just landed today um, is a woman called Holly Lou. Uh, She was a co-founder of a company called Kabam um, and she exited her company for a billion dollars. So she's part of the unicorn club and she will be there on hand um, in the lead up to during She Hacks and up until the 31st of July because after She Hacks, we're kicking off an incubator.
1: Oh, wow
0: yeah so there's sort of this for, for anyone who um yeah is is new to hackathon world basically what happens is you know you get together and at the end of the weekend everyone's really tired they go home have a nap and then they kind of need to recover and they don't keep building their stuff so we're like well hang on what would be that next step what are the steps after a hackathon that you need to take and so we're building um yeah we've an incubator and it'll go for eight weeks and then in september we're going to have a showcase so because it's the world's largest hackathon we're not having you know, uh, 30 teams pitch on a Sunday because we'll never get home. Mm. Um, we're getting everyone to record their pitch on the Sunday to video and then we'll release them in the following week. Then you go into an incubator and then the top 10 teams will pitch in September at a gala night, um, which the date is to be confirmed, but you'll hear about it. And um, yeah, we basically want to have almost like, this is a poor example, but the logies of women in tech. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: yeah, that needs know, some work, Sarah. Know. We can't we can't stick with that.
0: It really. <laughs> does. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a bit sick. My marketing chops. I need a hustler to help me here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're doing very well. Yes, we really appreciate you being with us. Um, so, how many of those teams are going to go into the incubator? Do you think?
0: Um, all of them have the option to. Oh wow! And to be honest, we'll extend the for um, so anyone. You know, if you couldn't make it to She Hacks, but you still have an idea you want to incubate, you're welcome. Like we're not. We're not restricted by capacity because a lot of it will be delivered digitally and then the face-to-face events we have large venues for. So um, it's with the support of Launch Vic that we've been able to put on um, these programs. And so we just want women to step up and say, I would like to learn more. And if we can offer any touch point of an opportunity to make that happen, then we want to hear from you.
1: That's fantastic. Um, So with your mentors, do the mentors... split themselves into designer, programmer, and marketing business or... um, They will.
0: There'll be a bit of that combination. Mm -hmm. Basically, we'll be running all the communications on Slack, and so you can do a very needs-based... Actually, I specifically need this help right now, right through to the broader mentoring. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also some of that mentoring will extend into the incubator as well. So, um, yes, so there will be hackers, hustlers, and hipsters as mentors. Um, as well as broader things like I need help refining my pitch or however else you need help, we will have a team of people on hand to support. And what I was going to say, you asked, for those who have never been to a hackathon before, we actually have a boot camp. So it's available online. We ran face-to-face boot camps earlier this year. But a lot of people, it is their first hackathon, you know. Um, It's intimidating. you are like, I don't know what this thing is. So we have an online course that you can do that will be like, hey, here is what a hackathon is, what you can expect to get out of it. And if you're a hacker, a hustler, or a hipster, here's some special tips just for you. And it's good to watch all three of those um, pieces of content because you learn about what the other people in your team do. So if you're a hustler, you can learn about what a hacker or a hipster is expected to do over that weekend.
2: How much of a time investment is this uh, bootcamp pre work stuff? It goes
0: for a total of one hour. Oh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. you it. got to keep it quick. Yeah. Time this, you know, <laughs> yeah. But, but there's plenty of resources there. So, you know, um, we offer a lot of links to free resources, what we recommend, you know, in terms of when you're building things, um, you know, design assets. Um, yeah, a whole heap of stuff that's, that we've just learnt from doing lots of hackathons that we think are the cheat sheets.
1: So how intense is this hackathon? Do people bring sleeping bags and stay overnight or do you <laughs> kick them out at some point?
0: Oh, we kick them out. We we so the core values of Academy are um, good food, good friends, and cupcakes, and a good night's sleep. (laughs)
2: Cupcakes is surely some caffeine too.
0: Oh, yeah. We, we, we do have a bit of caffeine. I'm excited to say we've got pressed juices coming along this time. Oh, so nice. I'm really excited about that, yeah. So, we we're, we we take the healthy bent where we can, um, but we know the value of some good sugar. Um, <laughs> and so, no, we, we do kick people out. So, so, it is not one of those, you've got to be hardcore and hack until three in the morning. It's we're probably going to kick you out at 10 and we probably won't let you back in before 9 because... Um,
1: I'm so know. happy to hear that because there's a certain yeah. smell that some hackathons get
2: <laughs> that is that is indefensible. Day-old pizza and B.O. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So in our manifesto, we say no to beer and pizza at
2: <sighs> Amazing. Um,
0: yeah. So And actually, you know, it's funny because even then, like, we don't have alcohol, but it's not like we were making an alcohol-free event. We were just like, when would we have time to get drunk? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> We don't have time
1: for this. <laughs> Come on. We know that um, that's not pre-delivery. That's always post, post-delivery.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Once you've shipped it, then fine. That's <laughs> it.
1: All right. Hey, congratulations on the um, on the incubator and the partnership with Launch Victoria. Have you partnered up with them before?
0: No. So, they're a reasonably new organisation. Um, we were part of the second round of grants that um, were released. So, it's part of a $60 million fund. It's to be invested over about a three-year period. Um, and there's been a heap of different um, projects that have been funded and we're really enjoying seeing the results of what other people are doing. So, for example, Startup um, receives some money to come to Melbourne. Um, they've just announced that 500 startups will come to Melbourne. And so what's really special is that we'll be able to have You know, women who have done She Hacks can then go on and explore some of those other opportunities that are happening in the ecosystem. Mm. Um, So it's nice to be part of that family, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and that's, that's really been a... It would not be possible for us to run this type of event and be compensating everyone correctly. Um, if that wasn't possible because I don't know but there's a lot of unpaid labor that happens by women mm. and so you know we 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 have been running this on the smell of an oily rag for the last three years but there's a point at which you know we don't get much out of it anymore so yeah.
2: um,
0: to grow it we really needed that investment and so it's enabled us to go to the regions which has been great um, and to be able to offer the incubator and the showcase as well.
1: That is tremendous news. Um, mm. Would you like to tell our listeners when your event is running from?
0: I would love to. So it is happening July 14 to 16 and it's happening at the Dream Factory in Fooksway. Um, You can check out shehacks.com.au for more info. But One other thing I'd probably say um, is that we've also got childcare and that we'll also be bringing along an Oswean interpreter for um, at least the Friday night and Sunday. Um, so we want this to be a really accessible event because quite often we're, you know... Um, events
1: fall over events with inclusiveness, Yeah.
0: Right, you know, fantastic. That's kind of like, what are the things we need to think about? So, yeah, if you've got kids, it doesn't rule you out. Is my is my um, my message at the moment? So, can
1: mentors <laughs> take advantage of those as well?
0: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh
1: that I is mean, so great I, I, to hear.
0: I don't, I don't mind whose children they are. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that is wonderful. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, look, we really uh, recommend to anyone who's even just curious about what a hackathon is and, and how it works. If you've got ideas and you care about the society you work in and and you just think that, you know, you could you could pitch in on that. These are such empowering kind of events and you learn so much and the networks are tremendous. So I'd really encourage people to check out shehacks.com.au. And uh, hey, Sarah, thanks so much for speaking with us again. It's been really informative and congratulations on all your recent success. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been a delight. That was a pretty exciting conversation with Sarah Moran about She Hacks. If you're interested in She Hacks, head to shehacks.com.au and you'll find more details there.
2: So, Joe, did you make it to the Community Cup on the weekend? I did make it to the Community Cup on the weekend because we both had to cheer for Warren. Yeah, I was
1: definitely very proud to be cheering for the fittest BITE member. He may not be the fittest, but he's the demonstrably most fit. (laughs) So, um, well done to Warren number 31 out there. Uh, What I didn't know is that behind the scenes, or at least under the jerseys, jumpers, vests, I don't know what you call football wear. Guernsey. Guernsey, Wow. I okay, think that's how you say it. Underneath the sportswear, there was secretly technology
2: going on and this really excited me. Did you know about this? I didn't know about it, but it explains why when I gave Simona a post-match hug, I felt something hard on her back. Mm, mm. It wasn't it, it wasn't the bitterness it, of defeat. It,
1: <laughs> it was actually... It was tech. It was a pod. Okay, so we've had this amazing little bit of info that uh, the... Player Tech is the name of the technology that was being used and it's, it's owned by Catapult Sports. Um, the, the Player Tech device or vest was being worn by a number of players, by 10 players during the Community Cup. So it is a uh, GPS and sports analyst tracking device. Um, so 10 players from each team uh, wore these vests and we got a few stats from the game. We'll release them as we go through this story. But let's first hear from the Catapult Sports Scientist. Um, His name's Michael Cianciusi. And he said the data showed that the best on field was Ross Elliott. That doesn't sound like a megahertz name to me. Um, So he ran the most covering- um, Seven Seven kilometers. kilometers. That's impressive. And it would be more impressive if I knew how big a field was. Um, But I've got no idea for context. Running across at
2: once looks exhausting to me, (laughs) to be honest.
1: Look, he was closely chased by John Shanahan and Marie Fuster, who ran well, covering 6.2 and 5.5 kilometres respectively. Um, So I guess, you know, them all being rock dogs, the rock dogs might have had the best legs on field, is what we're hearing. Uh, Brian Eldorado, great name, was the fastest player for the winning team, recording a top speed of 26 kilometres an hour. That's pretty great. I think they should have put some of these vests on the uh, the umpires or the refs. Oh, yeah. Gone.
2: I bet they cover a
1: lot. They were pretty fast, yeah. some of them. Anyhow, so the Playtech vest itself is quite interesting. It looks a bit like a sports bra and right in the centre of the back in the middle there's a pocket for what they call their pod and it measures distance covered during a game. It measures top speed, um, sprint distance and number of sprints. I think this would be quite fun to have... For yourself, if you like doing interval training, because I feel like your regular kind of running devices don't handle the intervals quite that well, it'd be kind of nice seeing
2: them converted into sprints. It's always nice to try and outdo yourself as well. It's motivating. And
1: to give a bit of function to the uh, sports bra that you're
2: already wearing.
1: You just like whack yeah, a little yeah. pocket in there. That's kind of cool. So um, inside the pod is an accelerometer, which our most of our smartphones tend to have as well, um, magnetometer and a 10 hertz GPS chip. It has a 500 mar battery, which is claimed to support about seven hours of use. That's longer than most people could stay on field. And there's eight gigs of onboard storage that's said to hold up to 1,250 hours of data. So these are quite high-tech little devices and um, they do have a bit of a high-tech price point. I think they're about, uh, I saw it only in pounds, a 2,000, uh, sorry, a 200-pound um, price point for these. But I guess they're meant for professional sports people more often.
2: Yeah, probably part of the training. Mm. What
1: is really cool about the data is that we actually have some megahertz news too. We didn't win but we came very close and John Bailey will have bragging rights as the fastest player on the field registering a top speed of 28.4 kilometres an hour which is faster than the fastest um, runner on the opposing team. Woo-hoo. Other notable mentions are Dylan Bird covering 6.4 kilometers, Simona Castricum on uh, with 5.2 kilometers, and Beth Atkinson at 4.6 kilometers. So great legs, guys! Um, I'm not Go sure. Megas! Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to influence your training next year, but it's it's pretty awesome to see it paying off. Warren, we want to we're uh, we want to know why you're not here. It might just be because you weren't vested up. That that could be a reason why many of our favorite players haven't made the list this time. We, um, you know, we're tremendously loyal here and we're sure you would have been there if only you had a
2: vest, Warren. We'll interrogate him later. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, we uh, We should have done the frisk there, but uh, if <laughs> only we'd known. Coming up in a moment, we'll have Nintendo news. But before we get to that, some very happy technology news. Solar panels could soon be made with their own embedded battery storage in an Australian and world first and that's really awesome. At the moment, companies like Tesla and um, Redflow in South Australia have separate solar panel and battery solutions. But having this battery printed on storage could be part of a regular solar panel, so it take up a lot less space. And because these could be printed in any shape, printed batteries could also power other solutions like electronic skin treatment patches and other wearables. So it's a really interesting emergent technology. It's coming out of a company called Printed Energy and um, the St Baker Energy Innovation Fund. And they've been collaborating with two universities, University of Queensland and Uni of New South Wales. And they're all practising in where energy storage and material science crosses over. So it's kind of cool. It's one of... Um, yeah, the plan is that the batteries would be laminated to the back of panels and deliver inbuilt storage, making it eventually standard for them to deliver energy day or night as required. Now, we always know that when these technologies come along, they're only going to become better designed and um, and start getting better for the solutions that we need them for. We were thinking about the LED lights. They're actually in the green room at the station here earlier tonight and and looking at how far they'd come. You know, when the LED lights first came out, they couldn't compete with the lights we were used to, like halogens, for ambiance. And maybe they looked a little bit blocky and they were a bit pricey. Nowadays, you know, the cost has come right down. The range of colours and tones and, you know, really mellow sort of tones has really come a long way. And they're just so beautiful. We can we can have really micro ones that are doing um, great things. So I love seeing that this is starting to happen with our solar panels. The shapes that you're getting them in are more flexible. Um, things are getting lighter and they're starting to address that day-night challenge. So it's it's really exciting times for solar panels here. Great to be seeing that work being done in Australia.
2: Now in Nintendo news, Joe, what what's what been happening? So they've just announced yesterday that uh, there's going to be a mini SNES. SNES, nice. Yeah. So and it's come... It's it fits in the palm of your hand. It's uh, going to have 21 games included, in, um, Super Mario Kart uh, and an unreleased sequel to Star Fox being two of the, the things that people are excited about, Super Metroid and, and Yoshi's Island. That's um, amazing. It looks pretty cute. And th- it comes with an HDMI cable so it can plug right into your new fancy telly. That's exactly how it should be. I think everything
1: good. looks right about this little package. It's um it's got a low price point, you know, under a hundred dollars. Yes, yeah, seventy-nine dollars apparently. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um and all these classic titles that people like. It's a bit of a dream, you know, especially for people who go around hunting for the old consoles
2: and then trying to find their favorite games. Well, I used to install emulators on my computer to play the old games like back in the early two thousands. Absolutely. Well now people
1: have um a very easy solution. So that's kind of exciting. <clears throat> Look, uh, I think we could probably head to all of our events news. There's just so
2: much going on there in Melbourne so at the many moment.
1: things coming up. I just think the geeks really know how to play up in wintertime.
2: Got to do something. It's too cold to.
1: <laughs> so, first of all, we're excited. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Steinar Ellingson, who is the artistic director of Melbourne Webfest. It's actually come round. It is Melbourne Webfest week. So, head to melbournewebfest.com if you want to check out the program. It's all kicking off on Thursday night. So, Thursday night, there will be an event at the Loop Bar. And I'm just trying to get to where there's details about what's going to be there. It's a free event and you can rock up from six o'clock and it'll go for a few hours. And it's a spotlight and a student showcase. So you can network with other um, kind of content makers and you can also get a bit of a sneak peek about what's exciting in the field at the moment. So what's breaking in.
2: Um, Really good event to get to if you're interested in web series from all over the world.
1: Absolutely, and the uh, the uh, festival continues on uh, Friday and then through to Sunday. So on Friday there's actually an industry development day. So if you have a bit of money to invest in actually learning some skills about marketing and producing and um, you know designing and everything, web content, web series, then that's something really worth getting in on. Um, for the public, the opening night is happening on Friday evening, 7 to 10 p.m. at Experimedia at the State Library, so that will be pretty exciting. It'll feature a keynote by American filmmaker Christopher Leon and a premiere of the Melbourne Web Fest original, Mashed Up, and lots more. Then on Saturday and Sunday, we've got bunches of screenings, and you can sort of choose to to go to various bunches of things. So there's the official selection screenings and questions and answers panels. Um, these are all based at the State Library of Victoria. So it's kicking off at 9.45 in the morning um, all through to 7.30 p.m., uh, there's also this really exciting Pitch eye view, which we spoke to Steiner about, and this is where people have made videos with their concepts of web series in the hopes that they will um, win funding and a little bit of an internship to be developed um, from uh, a place in France. I can't remember where that was. Was it Paris? Somewhere. There's also a networking party, so if you're just about the peeps, then you can head along Um, 7.30pm till late at Lock and Key on Franklin Street. These are all ticketed events, um, so that's Saturday night. If you want to party and you want to chat about web series content, then that is the place to be. Everything continues on Sunday as well. There's particular focus on adaptations from web series to film and TV and doing that crossover. I mean, there's a lot of amazing comedy on TV these days that has crossed over from web series. I guess um, I think of the catering show immediately and that crossed over from a a web fest a while back. Great example. Yeah, really great stuff. All right, so that's kind of exciting. If you're into cultural things and um, kind of new ways of doing them, then Melbourne Web Fest. We also have Web Directions Code happening um, very soon. It's from the 3rd and 4th of August in Melbourne. So there's two days of programs. Um, Do any of these events kind of jump out at you? Any of the sessions during Web Directions Code,
2: Joe? Well, not being a a coder of any shape or form anymore. (laughs) I just look at these and I, uh, you know, I was saying to you before that I feel like my skills are firmly trapped in 1999.
1: <laughs> I think um, you'd be surprised how, how relevant some of these still are. I, I like that they've, um, they've maybe, pandered to the font nerds in maybe us.
2: Maybe HTML reimagined for the era of web apps, seeing as go. I need some reimagining of my HTML Just skills. one
1: session and you could be back in the game, Joe, <laughs> I reckon. They've also got the state of web fonts of Chris Lilly. I don't think it's the same Chris Lilly that we're thinking of. But we could be, it could be. Great be if it multi-talented. He certainly could. Um, Nice to see Ben Teese there. He's um, going to be talking about type checkers. That's pretty cool.
2: We've got Glenn Madden, The Road to Styled Components in CSS. And yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte Jackson on day two is also running a CSS workshop um, called CSS Current Soon and Someday. Yep. And Erin Zimmer on um, async functions. I
1: mean, it sounds super geeky. Uh, if you're a web programmer, you'll absolutely love it. Web Directions Code on the 3rd to the 4th of August. Uh, there's one other event that I want to call out, which is the last conference It's probably not going to be our last, but it is the last conference. And that stands for Lean Agile Systems Thinking Conference. It's happening from the 29th to the 30th of June at Swinburne University. So this kicks off tomorrow, based um, in Hawthorne. It's promoted as an affordable and grassroots mini conference. So that mini conference idea that you rock up and you think about, you know, what you might want to present on and what skills you have to share and what you're hoping to gain and everyone throws up, you know, some ideas. Uh, The schedule encourages participation and interaction via talks, workshops and activities. The emphasis is on gaining inspiration from fellow practitioners and sharing of practical skills. Uh, They also will give you some real experiences of lean and agile adoption and the latest in systems thinking practice. It's $245 for both days for this one or $125 for one day. If you're coming right up hard against that June 30th end of financial year tax deductible date and you need something to um to look for in professional development then do consider the last conference that's on tomorrow and the next day um, check it out at lastconference.com slash melbourne so that's about it um, are there any uh, fun tech plans that you might have for the weekend? Are you, he- you going to head along to WebFest at all?
2: I'm not. I did have a look at the program, though, and uh, it was nice to see some uh, New Zealand content on there.
1: Yeah, actually, I think they're really incredibly strong on balancing um, some local indies and some some real kind of self-starters here and then also bringing in, like, the best of international. Yeah, uh, was there a lot of New Zealand based content? I saw a few different web series. That, um, they, were, a lot of them were on the
2: award list.
1: I think it's interesting, uh, the trends we're seeing in in Webfest over time, they have become very comedy heavy just because comedy has been so successful
2: in crossing over to more traditional And it works well in a short format as well. Yeah, I'm
1: kind of excited by the drama actually and and some of the documentary stuff. So in the Australian nonfiction, there's a piece on the cave clan and I've always been fascinated by them. So I think that would be a great one to get along to. Um, There's also something uh, called The Streets Barber Stories,
2: and I think barbers would get all the best news next to bartenders, so that might be a good oh, one. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I, 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 don't, I shave my head, so um, <laughs> I'm often at the barber.
1: Nice, nice. Well, we'd love to say thanks to Sarah Moran for being our guest this evening and do stick around for Anthony Carew coming up with the International Pop Underground next.